Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. All right, guys, I'm very excited to have my next guest on the show. Uh, joining me today is Melinda Wenner-Moyer. Uh, Melinda, uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah. My pleasure. I'm excited yes. to be here. I'm going to do an intro of you. I'm going to do an intro. She is a <laughs> science journalist. She is the contributing editor at Scientific American Magazine, one of my faves. Uh, regular contributor to the New York Times, Washington Post, and I believe a host of other national magazines and papers. And uh, she's on the faculty of NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. And, uh, you know, very timely, she has a, her first, I believe, book coming out uh, July 20th, uh, very soon, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't, and I won't say the full last word, A-Holes. Um, only, only because, not because I don't go there myself, only because of the podcast itself. And yet what I found as I read this, as, as I read through this, Melinda, is that it is truly a book about uh, bringing kindness uh, to our kids, which is super, super important. So not that we have to start with the book, but I, you know, I think the title kind of pulls for us to, uh, to, you know, to start talking about it. What, what led to you writing this book? Why don't we go ahead and go for it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and thanks again for having me, Mitch. I'm excited to be here. Um, yes, yes. So, you know, if I'm honest, um, the inspiration for the book, a lot of it came from what was happening in politics. And really, honestly, it came from Donald Trump and yep. watching him uh, and what he was doing um, uh, like in 2016, 2017, 2018, I just, I, I found myself starting to, to ask myself over and over again, what can I do to make sure my kids don't grow up to be like Donald Trump? How yes. can I make sure that that my kids aren't mocking people and making sexist jokes and committing sexual assaults and 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 talking about countries as shithole countries and making yes. other you know racist comments? All of these things he were he was doing over and over again. Um, I I just kept thinking, I, you know, what can I do to to make sure my kids don't do that. And I started talking with other parents who were thinking the same thing and thinking, gosh, you know, I, I, we used to worry about making sure our kids were successful and did well in school. And now it felt like the most pressing thing was to, to make sure that our kids were kind, good people. And, and that maybe if we could all figure out the best strategies for fostering compassion and, and kindness and, um, and, and all of these other good things that maybe we could actually kind of build a better world in the process. And then, then the, that's how the book sort of solidified in my mind. I was like, you know, I, I didn't really, I never thought I was ever going to write a parenting book. If I'm perfectly honest, it just kind yes. of felt like, like maybe a, a little bit obnoxious, like who am I to tell other parents what to do? But then, Oh, I do it all the time <laughs> as a clinician. So don't worry about it. So. Okay. Right. <laughs> But I, you know, but I don't, I don't have a, you know, psychology doctorate or, or anything like that. But, um, 
but yeah, it just started to feel really important. And with my background in science journalism, I realized, oh, I can actually look at the research on how these different traits and values develop. And maybe I can give parents tips and strategies based in the science on how they can foster these kind of values that we want. Yes, this is super important. A, I, I, I love interviewing and talking with uh, writers, authors in general. And part of me, when I uh, first started reading your bio, I'm like, you know, she's, you know, written for so long. She's a journalist. She's, you know, published uh, all over the place. Why did it take so long to write her first book? But, you know, you kind of answer my question. It's like you didn't set out to be a book author. You have the things that you write. Um, and then and then Trump came along and the uh, the culture of separation and polarization that in my opinion, had been there, it just like blew up. And, mm -hmm. and we kids are hurting, kids are getting the wrong idea. And so super important that you you have this book uh, coming forward to parents. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I always did know I wanted to write a book one day. And I've been a journalist now for, I guess, 15 years. But I I found it so hard to settle on what to write about, um, even though I was writing about parenting for so long. And then, yeah, it's just kind of, actually it was, it was pretty sudden. It just dawned on me one day, I was actually out with my husband to dinner and I just blurted out, I should write a book called how to raise kids who aren't a-holes. <laughs> it came out, the title and all came out. That's awesome. And then I know it was really funny. And then I looked at him and I was like, oh my God, like, I think that's it. I think that is my book. And then the next day I emailed my agent and was like, I think I have my book idea. That is beautiful. That's how it works. <laughs> it, it usually starts yeah. with just a moment like that. And then the whole thing kind of crystallizes around it. Can I, you know, since you're a science journalist, you, you will know the specifics likely way more than I do. Um, you know, you know, I, I haven't read many articles since graduate school. I shouldn't admit that on air, but, uh, you know, I read when I can, and it tends to be summary kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think you refer to this in your book. I remember reading as I was doing prep for my parenting book, uh, that, you know, there's this research that I believe is survey research, and I don't remember exactly when it was done. Um, but that, you know, the vast majority of parents, uh, I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot if you, this isn't in your book, but I'm pretty sure it is, you know, that the vast majority of parents deeply value kindness as, as a value or a set of behaviors they want to instill in their kiddos. Um, and yet, I don't know if it was the same researchers when they actually surveyed the kids, you know, the kids felt like, you know, while that was on the list of what they perceived their parents to deeply value, other things seem to the kids to be more important to their parents, like yes. being successful and ambitious and having you know, good grades and, and all of that. I think that is deeply fascinating as to the mindset uh, that is not any particular parent's fault. I just wonder how that ties into, uh, you know, you know, Trumpism and, you know, is there perhaps I'm just making this up. And it's not trying to be political, you know, is there is there a whole swath of the population that just because of the way things have developed over the decades, they worry, even though kindness is important, they worry if they if they emphasize that too much to their kiddos versus outcomes, grades, competitiveness and whatnot. If they emphasize kindness, their kids aren't going to have the grit. They're not going to have the push. They're not going to have the ability to be uh, competitive in the world. 
Mm-hmm. And and so that that may dovetail with some of why people are drawn to to Trump and his his behaviors and and that can trickle down to their kids. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yes, this all of this research that you you mentioned um is fascinating. And just to to draw out that last point you made, you know, the concerns parents have that if they really emphasize kindness and compassion that their kids might then one day not be as successful or they might not do as well if if that if you know that's what they're emphasizing is kindness. It's really interesting because that is not what the research shows. The research finds that kids who are kind and generous, um, that those are the kids who actually, and, and they've and these are studies that have controlled for IQ and for family mm. socioeconomic status. And they find that those kids that are are rated as kinder, even in back in like in, as early as kindergarten, that those are kids who end up being more successful, um, you know, 30 years later and making more money. And it's, yes. it's fascinating because it's kind of the opposite of what you would think. You would think, oh no, we need to teach our kids to be cutthroat and competitive and not, you know, give anything to anybody, but it's really the opposite. And, and actually, um, Adam Grant, um, who is, um, an organizational psychologist at yes. Wharton school, he wrote a whole book on this give and take, yes, which yes. Is, <laughs> essentially how, um, you know, the people who are the most successful are, are often the ones who are the most generous, the most kind. Um, and, and he's actually a really great example of this in, um, just in the way he lives his life. He, he's so nice. I've talked to him a few times. He actually blurbed the book too. And he's like the busiest person that I think I've, I mean, he's doing so much, but he's always giving to other people and he's immensely successful. So he really practices what he preaches, but yes. yes, um, So yeah, this, this idea that if we emphasize kindness, we're going to somehow shortchange our kids in other ways is, is really, um, it's just not, not the way it works. It's really interesting. It's fascinating. I'm sure it's, you know, super complicated psychologically as to why, uh, why many, many, many parents are concerned, even though the data would say that, you know, teaching and emphasizing kindness and compassion leads to successful, you know, happier, more well-being kids. Um, Well, why is it then that even though the data is really clear, um, and we have practices out there, we have great ways to bring kindness and compassion uh, to kids. Why is it that people are so still afraid and feel like, well, no, I gotta, I gotta not emphasize that too much. Yeah. I want them to be kind, but I, 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 you know, wink, wink, kiddo, you need to be able to stick it to them. And there's, there's (laughs) something that there's something that makes that so powerful for a wide swath of people. I mean, I see it in my clinical practice as well. So yeah, I bet. I bet. I know it's a really interesting question. And I mean, part of it could be we don't necessarily know the best ways to teach our kids to be kind. And mm. I mean, when I dug into the research on, you know, what actually, um, what are the things that parents do that help kids become more compassionate? I was kind of surprised. Like, I mean, one of the big things is talking to kids about feelings and talking to kids, you know, about both your emotions as a parent and, and your kids' emotions and, you know, everybody's emotions. And that isn't something that's necessarily obvious. Why would talking about feelings make kids more compassionate? But when you actually sit down and think about it, and the research shows very much that this is the case, 
and you think about, for instance, being able to take another person's perspective and, you know, a, a child looking at a friend who's upset and um, being able to, you know, help them and make them feel better. They really have to be able to perceive what that child is feeling. And yes. then, and, and it's all theory of mind type stuff, like really being able to put yourself in that child's shoes and think, oh, he's really sad. And maybe he's sad because he, you know, didn't win, um, uh, when we were just playing dodgeball, he, he did, you know, he got tagged out and then think about like, well, what can I do to make him feel better? Even though I don't feel sad, you know, you have to be able to think what, what would, what would make him feel better? What do I know about him that would make him feel better? So there's in a way, when you think about it, you do have to be very literate with emotions in order to, um, be compassionate towards others. And so that's just one example of, I think a lot of the research in this area is not super um, uh, obvious. And so like parents might think, yes, I want my kids to be kind, but not just not know the best things, the most constructive things that they should be doing to instill that. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I've thought about this quite a bit and uh, you know, in my own writing and my own speaking and that I do. And when I work with people clinically, some of it may be a messaging problem uh, that, so much of the, you know, the quote unquote practices come from, you know, contemplative tradition and, you know, like meditation related things, you know, compassion itself is, you know, a whole set of, uh, it's an, it's a state, it's an experience. Uh, but then there are these practices that have been around for hundreds, thousands of years uh, to foster it. And yet my worry around just even the words compassion or kindness is it, it feels like rainbows and unicorns and it feels passive and it feels perhaps weak to people even though it's not even there the research says it's not and yet you know so when i think about it it's like i talk to people about um it's important to give kids a compassionate dope slap you know you know not physically hitting them there's all that data but like you know there's a there's a need for uh kind of an empowerment or, you know, I, when I work with dads uh, in my practice, it's like, you know, you know dude, I, I want to help you be a compassionate badass as a, <laughs> as a dad. And, it, and it, there's something about the messaging to me that we, you know, we, we have to kind of meet people where they're at and not leave it to others to use their behavior, outlandish behavior, uh, Trump, obviously, and, and, and I do believe you could talk about this without it being about, you know, you know, conservative versus liberal. It's about kindness. It's about connection. It's about, you know, humanity. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I'm blathering too much, but I, I think about this stuff a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about. And it is really kind of complicated too, as you say, there's a, a lot going on um, and a lot of things were being you know, a lot of directions were being pulled that it, uh, make the messaging difficult and make, yeah, make it hard for us to know how to constructively do what we want to do. Yes. So. Yes. You know, what would you say from, from what you have in your, I mean, you refer to us being in a uh, quote, uh, crisis of kindness. And, and I, I, I like that phrase, you know, that, you know, we really do struggle to know how to teach kindness to have an accurate understanding of the value of it for our kids and uh we, they need it now more than ever 
And as you're saying, that the research says it'll lead to awesome outcomes for them. What do you think it, you know, what is it that gets in the way um, or what would you start to recommend to parents to start showing up to um, teaching kindness to kids? I know that's a broad question. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> um, yes. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't tell you up front. We have about five hours for this. Yeah. Interview, so. <laughs> All right. I'll just yeah. dig right in. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, first just to, just to, um, spend a little minute more on that crisis of kindness idea. You know, one of the other reasons I wrote this book is because I kept stumbling across surveys and other data that, that suggested that in the last five years or so, um, there have been more hate crimes happening. There have been, there mm. have been a lot of surveys done of teachers, um, uh, who have said, you know, we've, I, I, that they feel as if kids are struggling more with, with being kind and that there's, there's more unkindness that they're seeing in the classrooms. Um, there was a lot of, um, uh, survey data from the Southern Poverty Law Center right around the time of the 2016 election that that found that you know once uh, within you know the, a day or two of Trump being elected there were kids at schools saying you know build a wall and mm. um, and, and just all sorts of sort of parroting all sorts of things that they had been hearing um, in the in in the rhetoric of the election and so it it really did feel to me and it does feel to me that there is this kind of crisis of kindness that's happening. There's, there's actual, you know, there's research as well, not just surveys suggesting that, that kids are um, bullying more and, and treating others, you know, more poorly than they used to be. And so yes. that was a big impetus for the book too, is sort of seeing this data and thinking, gosh, you know, we really do need to be doing something. Right. Um, so, I mean, so in my book, I organized my book by, I, I kind of like sat down and uh, out of nowhere kind of was trying to think of what are the what are the key qualities that I think well both are emblematic of being a jerk <laughs> as well as like what's the opposite of that and so um you know I my first chapter is how to raise kids who aren't selfish which the opposite yes. of that is how to raise kids who are compassionate and helpful yes. and again and a lot of and then the, the, I can go through some of these others but really like the big thing with that um with promoting helpfulness and generosity and and compassion a lot of that is talking about feelings um and especially with little kids um there was actually a really interesting story when it comes to helpfulness um you know, an interesting study that i stumbled across that i i will just quickly describe because yeah. i thought it was yeah. fascinating um they had i think it was mothers only a lot of these studies unfortunately they have mothers and not fathers and right that's, uh, that's a whole other can of because we're slackers and we need to step up more that's for sure yeah. no offense dads <laughs> Yeah. But they they asked mothers to come into a lab with their preschoolers and they they videotaped the moms reading a book to their kids. Um, and they kind of assumed that how the mothers read the book to their kids would be in the lab would be similar to how they would have read the books to their kids at home. And they observed and counted essentially how many times the moms paused the book to talk about feelings, like mm. to say, oh, you know, what do you think this character's feeling right now? Or how do you think, how do you feel reading this right now? Or what do you think she was thinking and feeling? Yes. Um, and found that the, so they, they did, okay, they did that first part of the experiment and they kind of documented 
which parents were talking the most about emotions and which parents were talking the least. And then in a separate experiment, they took those preschoolers, the researchers took those preschoolers into a room where the preschoolers played with researchers. And then the researchers would feign needing help. Like they would say something like, oh my gosh, I'm so cold. I wish I had that blanket mm, over there. Interesting. And they would see what the kids did. And they found that the kids whose mothers talked about feelings a lot while reading the book, which they presumed meant that these mothers also talked about feelings a lot at home, those kids were much more likely to go out of their way to help the researchers in the second part of the experiment. That's they would go across the room and pick up the blanket or they would pick up the pencil that the researcher had dropped. And so, I mean, it's a, it's just a fascinating example of how there really, you know, there really is, and there's all sorts of other research, but there really is this direct link, it seems, between how much we talk about feelings with our kids and how helpful and generous they are towards yes. others down the and that, line and that they are always watching you know they're yes. always watching yes. the adults particularly their parents and there's what we intend to teach and then there's what we teach by what we show about how we're managing ourselves and our behavior right but right yeah but that right. willingness to model like it's okay to talk about feelings right now kiddo and i'm gonna ask you about it we're gonna talk about it that's mm -hmm. fascinating that it immediately translated into increased uh, kind, helpful behavior in the in the yeah. laboratory. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And you just mentioned you just used the word modeling. And of course, I can't also help but mention that another really important thing is to model kindness yourself as a parent and to, yes. you know, the more that you can show kindness to your friends, your partner, your children, your everybody, grandparents, the, you know, kids are, as you say, they're always paying attention and they're always, they're looking to us to see how we engage with the world so that they learn, you know, how they should engage with the world. And so the more that we show kindness and are kind to others, the more that they're going to do it too. And that's, that's another like hugely, hugely important aspect of all of this is just, you know, practicing what we preach. Essentially. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines, I wonder what you would say to this and, and from what you know of the research, my, my uh, personal belief coming out of my experience as a family psychologist for, for a long time. And, you know, and then just being a, you know, a dad and a husband and, someone who is prone to occasional error, you know, <laughs> that that is something that seems to be more needed. It's always been a good thing to do, but more, maybe now more than ever, to be able to publicly own error, you know, to model that for our kids. Like, you know, you know what, kids, I, I screwed that up or yeah. I raised my voice with you. I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't very skillful of me or just let you know, in general, as a leader, you know, in the past when I've, you know, led teams and whatnot, when I've been willing to own air, no one's ever stood up from the table and said, that's it. I'm done with you, dude. I don't, I don't trust you anymore. I don't respect you. In fact, it's the opposite. I don't know. I, I think, you know, the modeling thing got me uh, remembering it. This seems to be one of the crucial missing things these days. And maybe with our current you know, political, sociological culture, even, you know, we see the opposite of, of it daily. Why can't we just own error and be able right. to say, you know, I messed that up. So yeah. I, I put that out into the ether. It's such a good point. And it's, it's there in my book in multiple chapters too, that yes, it's, I mean, we are going to make mistakes and we're going to yell at our kids and we're going to not show kindness sometimes to other people. And I mean, that's just life. Yes. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, but 
I have become now much um, more intentional about when I recognize that I've made a mistake talking to my kids about it and owning it. Yeah. And, and, um, and explaining to, you know, not, not like not rationalizing why I did it, but explaining what was going on and, and why it happened and what I've learned from it because of that. Um, yeah, I I'm trying to be much better about that because I think that is really important. And even just, I mean, and this also relates to like how we talk about failure and mistakes with our kids also is just really important. And the fact that we can, you know, we can talk about how we learn from our mistakes and we grow from our mistakes. And this kind of gets into how we talk about, I don't know if we want to get into like growth mindset and fixed mindset with kids, but this is something I talk about in my book, how super um, important, super it important. It really is. Yeah. yeah. And how we, we can, um, you know, talk to them about the fact that their abilities and their, and who they are is not something that's fixed and innate and they're born with, but they can grow and change and learn based on what they do, based on the effort they put into things, based on the mistakes they make and how mistakes are, are so important. I just like one example of this that was so stunning to me. I, when I, I had read Carol Dweck's uh, book on growth mindset um, yes. last year and was really trying hard with my son in particular, I have a 10 year old and he, I was finding was struggling with he, he seemed to be in this fixed mindset a lot where, and, and we all kind of default back to this, where we think like, I'm not, I'm just not good at this and I'll never yes. get better, you know? And I can't, I think it was soccer. Yeah, it was soccer. Um, he was really struggling because his team was losing a lot. And mm -hmm. he got to the point where he was like, we're never going to win. And I don't want to play soccer anymore because I never win. And I really started trying to work on him and talk about how every time um, he loses a game or every time another team makes a goal, we can learn from that. And you can say, well, how did they do that? And what can we learn? And, and then one day I remember it was like a Saturday morning and we were just lying in bed. He crawls into bed in, on Saturday mornings and yes. settles with us for a little bit before breakfast. And he said, you know, um, hopefully I've not at five in the morning, like my kids <laughs> or want to do. <laughs> oh, we went through that phase for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's no fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, no, thank I think this, he gets, a, he now has one of those clocks that tells him he can't get out of bed until seven nice. on weekends. So nice. but it, at literally like seven o'clock and 10 seconds, he will come into our room. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and he was like, you know, mom, I've been thinking, I think I'd actually, I think I'd rather be on a soccer team that loses a lot than one that wins all the time, because then I'm really just learning a lot more and I'm becoming a better soccer player. And it That's like awesome. blew my mind. That's it blew awesome. my mind. And I mean, now we still struggle. Like he still falls back into the fixed mindset thing sometimes. But like when he said that, I realized, you know, I was like, okay, like this, we've had, we'd had so many conversations about it and it was finally sinking in. It was just, it was really marvelous that moment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That, that is, this is so important. And Carol Dweck and the others that have worked on the, the research around growth versus fixed mindset, it's, you know, most people can, it's pretty simple. Most people can understand those concepts. It's so hard to show up to it regularly, particularly if you as a individual grew up with fixed mindset conditioning all around you all the time, which the vast majority of us did. And, and yet it is doable and, it, and kids pick up on it. They pick up on our willingness to say, you know what, you know, this, this failure is a mistake and, you know, on, on the situation, you can have another take at it, dude. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, let's, you know, you can learn from that. And as soon as you start to really drop into that with your kids, they start to get it themselves. 
So it's, it's just hard to keep showing up to. I, I find myself over fixating on the goals and the scores and the grades and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's hard not to, it's so hard. I mean, that's every, our culture is telling us to do that, you know? Yes. Yes. And then, and then there's me as, as a, you know, someone who meditates a lot, knowing through the practice of meditation, that the more you try and fixate on controlling something, it eludes you right and and yet it's still the conditioning is so thick what what would you say to this um melinda around like parents feeling a lot of pressure because i was just giving it to myself you know that uh you know there's so many things we should be doing uh as parents you know so many lists so many uh to do items so many things to be on the lookout for you know that we we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves and and then say that well i'm falling short so i i suck at this parenting thing what what would you (laughs) what would you say either from what you've gotten from the research or what you've experienced as a parent yourself oh my goodness there's there's so much pressure put on parents and, and we put so much pressure on ourselves and i feel like the pandemic just made that so much worse too because we had to be wearing 20 hats at once you know we had to be Yes. teaching our kids and oh and, uh, and, and yeah. taking care of them while we were working and all these other things. Um, there's, there's so much pressure put on parents and what, you know, what we see in the media doesn't help. There's all sorts of critiques of, you know, there's helicopter parenting is bad and snowplow parenting is bad. And this yes. kind of, you know, and there's 18 different kinds of, of parenting that we're supposedly doing. That's terrible for our children. And, and I, I mean, I, I, and I struggled with, the idea of writing a parenting book too, because I didn't want to put more pressure on parents, right? Yes. I, I don't want to add to it by saying you're doing this wrong. And you. so I, you know, but I've really tried to sort of think about it as, well, I'm trying to, in a way, ease a burden if I can and answer mm. questions that parents have had that they didn't know how to answer um, and, and to sort of do the research for them to, to maybe ease the burden and to show also that there's not one right way to parent. There's definitely yes. not. There are many, many ways to, 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 to do it well. And, um, but it's, it is really hard. And I think there's, there's also, I mean, there's so much pressure on us as parents, but I think also we really struggle with the fact that um, success, like we, we worry about our kids and how well they're going to do. Um, yes. And we know that, you know, college admissions are getting so much more competitive. I mean, if you look at the statistics, it's like crazy 20 years ago versus now, you know, the percentage yes. of kids who will get into an Ivy league school, it's dropped so much. Um, and, and it's just, I think that kind of pressure too also makes us put our priorities sometimes in the wrong place where, yes, we might know we want our kids to be kind and we want our kids to treat others well, but really, you know, what we're most worried about is that our kids aren't going to get into any colleges and what are we going to do if that happens? So we really want to make sure they do well in school. And so there's all these kind of external things that stress us out and mess up our priorities and make it so that we emphasize certain things to our kids that aren't maybe the most healthy. Um, one of the, um, I was, I really wanted to write a chapter on self-esteem because I thought self-esteem was really important for yes. you know raising kids who are happy and, and kind and all sorts of other things. And I was really shocked when I tried to dig into, you know, what is it that shapes self-esteem? What are some of the big things that shape self-esteem in kids? I was pretty shocked to find this whole literature on how pressure 
on kids to succeed, to get good yeah. grades, to, you know, make the soccer team to, um, do all, you know, do all the things, essentially the pressure we put on kids to do all those things really affects their self-esteem in yes. ways that we probably don't realize. And we're just trying to, you know, we're trying to do the best we can for our kids and make sure that they do well. And we're, you know, we're doing it for them in a way, but then we don't realize sometimes that we're sending these messages that actually make kids question their self-worth because they start thinking, oh, mom and dad love me when I achieve and when I get good grades and therefore, you know, their love is contingent on how I perform and that really messes up their self-esteem. So that's kind of an aside. I'm kind of babbling here. No, but- no, no. I think it's, I think it's super important. I can definitely nerd out on this stuff as I think you can tell, but uh, you know, that I, I think this is where, you know, the mindset work comes back in again, the more that we show up to that, fixed mindset and how we talk to our kids in mundane moments and big moments where we, and this is my spin on it, that it's not just over fixating on the goals and the grades and the outcomes. That's a problem. It's over fixating on the whole person of the kid. You you as a person have to get that grade or that outcome versus you know what um i don't want to blank on her name here because it is in my i cite her in my book sylvia borstein who wrote this really cool uh meditation related book it's easier than you think and she says in there a line that i just have always loved we are way more verbs than we are nouns (laughs) oh i love that isn't that cool and and it's just it's just true that and this is you know i think what at least part of what uh, Carol Dweck's work points to, what I try to point to in my my own work is that, you know, show up to kids in the moment, the the ing of what they are doing, and the verb of their effort, the verb of their risking, their feelings, their their the uh, emotions that they're they're expressing and feeling, and and also show up to setting limits, you know, and and containing things and. You know, so I, I just think there's a, when we focus on not just outcome, but yet, hey, you whole kid, you mm-hmm. are this, then that sets them up to, you know, to be stuck, you know, when they fall short of that in a given moment. Absolutely. So. Yeah, that's so true. That's, I had never really thought of it quite like that. I remember as a kid, I kind of define myself as a musician, like that's what I was. And yes, I don't know whether my parents... I don't know how much they had to do that, but I, but then when I decided I didn't want to be a musician anymore, I had this like crisis of identity. Cause mm. you know, what was I, if I wasn't a musician, I was nothing. And so I had to sort of re- <laughs> recalibrate and re-figure out who I was. Cause I had kind of defined myself as this particular type of person. And when you, yeah, the, there's a danger in that because then when you change, which you inevitably will, if you've, if you've really, you know, attached yourself to this self-concept, it can be really hard then to, to, to know what to think when that self-concept is gone. Um, I won't, I won't ask whether you still uh, do these puzzles, but when you were a kid, did you do the word search kind of puzzles? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Right. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I ripped this off from an, a colleague of mine at one point who I saw use it during a presentation. I've been doing it for years as well now where you put up on the, the slide on the PowerPoint, one of those big word search things and ask people to say look for the first word four words or five words that jump out at you those are who you are whatever the mm-hmm. words are and then you ask everybody it's like 
does that does that just fully describe who you are as a person and you know then you got some people that are like well i want to swap out my words you know i want to find some better ones but regardless of what words they fixate on you know no one has ever honestly told me yeah that's sufficient those words are sufficient to describe who i am mm. you know that there's always we're you know the point is like we're we are who we fully are as a human being is way more than the story we tell ourselves yeah. the set the set of words right and, and that's something i think about when i think about parenting that we all have a set of litany of you know sometimes positive things and a lot of like negatives about who we are as a parent we need to cut ourselves some slack from those stories mm -hmm. and just say you know what thanks thanks mine for sharing that story i wonder what i'm missing by telling myself this yeah it's a really really good point yep i agree when when you think back I, I'm, as i'm wrapping us up here i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna go <laughs> <laughs> okay like, yeah you know in my own writing you know i i talk about what i call prizing kids and it's kind of my way of trying to tie all of these things that we're talking about together that there's like a, a prize it's the whole title of the podcast the prize of possibility there's a there's a prize in a moment and in, in our interactions with our kids and it's it's what is in that moment that's easily missed and when we get present enough as a parent with our own bs reactions right mm -hmm. um and when we can do that we can then become aware of what might be because we can't ever fully know even if it's our kid what might be in their experience and then we can you know play relational peekaboo with them and say mm -hmm. peekaboo kid here's my truth over here. This seems to be yours, you know, and it matters to me how you're showing up to it. And mm -hmm. I call that prizing. And yeah, I, I kind of, I have to ask, you know, cause I think people that have been very successful and, you know, been able to show up to profession and parenting and, and then write about it. Someone had to show up to you with what I'm calling prizing when you were, when, you know, probably many people in multiple different ways, what immediately pops to your mind, Melinda, as that person really saw me, they really saw behind, they really let me know, there was no seeming agenda of like them trying to get me to do anything. They just were playing peekaboo with me. When mm -hmm. I, when I put that out there, what pops as to like a story of someone prizing you in a formative way? Gosh, that's a really interesting. I, well, I have two people who popped into my head pretty immediately. So I, I went to boarding school and, uh -huh. um, and I, I kind of worked myself to, to death at boarding school. And I just, I was very headstrong and kind of like, just did, did too much in, a, in essence. And I remember my English teacher who was, um, who lived in my dorm, her name was Suzanne Wilsey. And she, she was, she just could, she could see like who I was and what I was doing and was always there when I was going through something. And I didn't even know mm. I would be going through something. And she would be there and say, let's have a hot chocolate and come mm. and, and, 
I don't know. I'm not sure if that's. I just. I just remember she. She, the way she that, saw. She saw something. She saw. Yeah, something. and she understood me in a way that I think I didn't even understand myself at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And I don't know. I, I. It's hard for me to put into words. I haven't thought about this in a while. Um, and there was one other teacher actually, and and it's funny. I feel like so much of. <laughs> There's just like my boarding school life. I feel like I, when I when I'm talking to my therapist, it comes up all the time. But anyway, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> there's a lot that happened in boarding school. But yeah, there there was another teacher too who just like was so supportive all the time and would take me out to breakfast and you know and and just be there for me in a way that like I hadn't known. I mean, my parents of course were were always there for me and were wonderful. Yes. But like somebody who's not your parents and, and an adult yes. who's just like you who cared for me and saw me for who I was um at a time when I didn't really know who I was and wasn't sure if I was, you know, worthwhile or or not. Yes. And 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 just their seeing their confidence in me and their sort of love for me and knowing it was unconditional. I mean that's another big um, theme in my book is how important it is yes. for us as parents to communicate that our love is unconditional and yes. it's not based on what they do or how they act or what you know and it doesn't matter if they make mistakes that we love them no matter what and no matter yes. who they become um right. and I, I think that was the you know those were adults that that didn't have to do like they weren't my parents but they showed me that kind of unconditional love and it was it just really meant a lot yeah that's that's beautiful <laughs> that's beautiful sorry to put you on the spot like that. No, but it's okay. It's really nice, interesting. To I, think about. It, it, I I get this. I get this from people. Very, you know, bright, articulate people. Can many that I've asked these questions to, they find themselves like, wow, I haven't thought about this in a while. I haven't thought about that way. I'm having a hard time finding the words to describe those experiences of yeah. that person that showed up to me in that way that you're pointing to. I, but I think, you know, hopefully, all of us. And everyone listening has had experiences like that, where this person is like, you can tell they're showing up beyond any agenda other mm-hmm. than that peekaboo. Hey, I see you over there. Right. And, and, and you can feel that as a kid or even as an adult when someone's doing that with you. And it just matters. It's like, it's like some kind of nutrient. Uh, (laughs) you know, that, that really gives us that, that oomph for the next step on our own, you know, you know, and I just, I don't know, I, I like to ask accomplished people about it because it's always there. And it's like this, it's interesting what comes out of people, uh, to me. Um, but I, I call that prizing, uh, you know, a kid and, and, uh, beautiful, you know, I, I didn't go to boarding school. But I was in Boy Scouts, which, mm. which which had a lot of stories attached to it that weren't <laughs> always like comfortable at the time, but they're great stories now. So yeah, oh, that's a really I'm I'm really glad you asked that question, and and I love what you said. It's like a nutrient. I think that is so so apt. That is exactly what it is. Um, yes, it just like fed me and fed my soul in some very important way to have have those adults in my life that way and show up that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super important. And I, I, you know, on air every once in a while, when I use that term, I have to give acknowledgement to where it first came from, which mm-hmm. was my mentor in graduate school who told me, you know, Mitch, it's so important that you not praise, just praise your clients. You have to prize them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. And it really, you know, it was like a lightning bolt. And then I found out later that he had, 
gotten that from uh, famous uh, humanistic psychologist Carl Rogers, uh, who would use that term in some of his writings, but he never emphasized it. He went with the term unconditional positive regard uh, for Ah. whatever, whatever reason, but prizing was something that he used as analogous. So I'm looking to reboot it because I I think it's, I think it's super important, but yeah, anyway, I totally agree. And I've never, I've never heard that phrase, but I I really like it. Yeah. I might steal it too, but I'll I'll give you credit. (laughs) And and Carl Rogers too. (laughs) Nice. Nice. And Sandy Kerr. And Sandy Sandy Kerr. Kerr. Yes, of course. Melinda, this was this has been an awesome uh, conversation. I would I would love to have you on the show again because we're just like scratching the surface of stuff, and yeah, there's so much it. we could talk about. But uh, you know, again, guys, the book is super important. It's very timely. You know, how to raise kids who aren't a holes, and it is it is and it is honestly, as we've been talking about, it's full of accessible stuff around the science around bringing uh, kids out of this crisis of kindness. It's super important. So Melinda, thank you for, for joining me. And uh, yeah, thank you, Mitch. This was great. I really yes. enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.